I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. That generation, like we have, especially with COVID and the pandemic too, like we have been like very like focused on emotions and mental health and how people feel and that's great, but it doesn't mean that you don't do your job. You still have to do the job. You still have to do what's in the job description. So I say no by reminding them of what the job requires. Like the job requires X. This is what we need. Um, And yes, we create a safe space for you. And yes, you can talk to me about how you're feeling, but it doesn't deviate from what we need you to do for the job. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, we have a great episode today with Talisa Young, who's the operations manager for Cheery Home. Her CEO, Keenan Hopkins, and I have known each other for 10 years. She's also a COO Alliance member. She talks about some of the idiosyncrasies and challenges and um, successes they've had in building out a really fast-growing brand in the home healthcare space. Talks about going from a corporate environment into an entrepreneurial environment and the, the adaptation that she had to have in doing that. She talks about her first 90 days and some of the struggles in the first 90 days of coming into an organization that already had 80 people in place. They've now got 160 a year later. And also talks about some of the imposter syndrome that many COOs have and some of the mistakes and lessons along the way of dealing with lots of remote employees where they have almost one full employee for every client that they have. So a huge PETA factor on the employee side of the business. I think you're gonna love this episode. Make sure as well that you also check out all of our episodes on our Second in Command podcast YouTube channel in addition to the podcasts that you can listen to anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'll see you on the inside. So Talisa, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, really looking forward to um, to sharing with you or learning with from you today and to um, having you share some of your successes and, and also some of the trials and tribulations that you've gone through in being a COO and, and in your the growth of the organization Cheery Home as well. So why don't you start off by telling us what Cheery Home is, what you do as a company, and then we're going to dive into some of the growth and some of the struggles in the growth and some of the successes as well. Yeah, so Cherry Home Inc., we are a home healthcare company. Um, the company was created by the founder, Keenan Hopkins. He noticed the disparity in care um, and economic disparity in home health care. So depending upon your economic status, even the area that you lived in, you could be receiving a different quality of care. He created this company to really shake up the industry, take care of caregivers, give them um, purpose and drive and really believe in them and build them up as well so that they create um, that same sense of purpose when they're in the client's home. And then they're able to then provide the highest quality of care to any client, regardless of their economic status, right? Um, so that's why the company was created. We have roughly 130 clients. And then we have about 162 caregivers the last time I checked. We started out with two and a half years ago with just 50 caregivers, truly a startup company. And then within 24 and a half months, we've grown to 162 caregivers, um, as well as office employees as well. I love this. It's funny. I met your CEO, Keenan. I'm guessing about 10 years ago, we connected and he had this crazy harebrained idea that he reached out to me about. He's like, what do you think about starting off a, a food delivery service? And it would be kind of like Uber, but for food. And no, mm -hmm. nobody was doing it back then. Um, does he always have these amazing ideas? Because Cheery's doing great. Your growth is going to be fantastic. Is he kind of a traditional entrepreneurial CEO with like an idea every hour? Yes, all the time. He has out there crazy ideas um, and well, I guess we'll talk about that later, but like that's why I think our relationship works because I'm very receptive of ideas and I like being on my toes. I like the change. I like constant change, but I'm also a very like detailed person that can like take those ideas and like be transparent with him and say, okay, like this is out there and this will not work um, or this will definitely work and this is how we're going to make it work. Okay, so this is really, really important. And everybody who's listening has gone through this situation a number of times where the entrepreneurial CEO has this crazy idea or amazing idea, and they kind of drop it into our laps and then they run back to work. How do you take those ideas? And as you said, you're really receptive to it and you're, you're glad to kind of take them, but then you also have a bit of it sounds like an art to say no at times as well. How do you balance that out? How do you know how to say no? How do you say no to them? How do you decide which ideas are worthwhile to consider, but maybe later? Can you kind of walk us through some of your thoughts around that? Yeah. So I had experience earlier in my career. I worked with a franchisee who was also a CEO of another company. Um, one of the things that I learned is how to communicate with CEOs and franchisees. Um, when you think of an idea, it's your baby, right? And you don't want anyone to talk about your children. That's the way I think about it. So that idea is your baby. You're protective over it. And you might also be very sensitive to the feedback that you receive. So it's our job as COOs to make that idea work and to try our best to make that work. So I always take that idea and I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. So I always compliment it. And then I work through like, okay, this is where we're at. 
This is our budget. This is our staff. Is this ideal? And then how would I roll this out to my team that I currently have? And then who could I delegate parts of this project to, to make it work? If it works, then I give that plan back to our CEO and I say, okay, like this is how we're going to do it. This is what we need. This is the support that we'll need. And realistically, we can't afford it, but this is what we could do to make this work. If it's an absolute no, I say it's an absolute no. But it's after I've worked through and then I come to him and I say like, this is why this absolutely cannot work. Like just to show him that I've tried every way of trying to make it work. Interesting. So you actually think through all of the logistics, kind of the who, what, when, where, why, and how for every idea or every project. How do you know which projects to not even spend that much time with? Like, do you ever just, you know what you're with your gut or, you know, after a couple minutes, like that is just not the, the right idea or that's not the right time. Do you ever make any assessments like that or do you put them through some kind of a process, even a, a, a very light process? I make ex- assessments like that with budget because we are a startup company. So if it's something like we want to add this position, um, like something we're talking about is like a culture position that's solely based on culture, right? It makes sense to do that, but we can't, if we're looking at the market and what an employee um, of that caliber would want to be paid, we can't afford that in in our company right now. So that's an example. Um, So that's where I would come back to my CEO and say, hey, absolutely not with where we're at um, and what you just shared with me as far as like cash flow budget, we can't afford this person right now. Um, But here is how I can make that work. We can, you know, focus more on our culture. We might be able to delegate that piece to a different person in our office or break it apart to where we're all taking care of what needs to be taken care of. So I guess to answer your question, I do think through it, uh, like for each idea, and then I come to him with the answer. Like, I don't think that there's anything where I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Um, I always try to think it through and give an answer. I love that. Now, what about the flip of this? You know, you're a member of the COO Alliance, and and I'm sure at some of the monthly events that we have or the in-person events that we run, you come back with a bunch of your ideas How do you present your ideas to the CEO in a way that they can kind of play with them or think through them? Because they need their ideas presented differently than they probably present them to us. Yeah, I present it to him like I would present it to an employee. So like what would be in it for him? So what's in it for the company? So if I have an idea that I've just got off of a call and I'm fired up and I'm like, hey, this is great. Um, Like I got off of a call last week and there was another company that said that they had a chief compliance officer and all that person did was focus on compliance and we're a Medicaid based industry. Like we need that. So coming to him and like, hey, if we hire a chief compliance officer, that's going to free me up to where I can market and I can get us some private pay client leads. And this is how we're going to benefit from that. So I spin it to where it's like he sees the full picture of how it's going to work. I love that. Even. No, you're, you're showing the return on investment for that idea, right? In a way that, yeah, like as you said, what's in it for me? What's in it for them? So one of the roles of the COO, in my view, is to save the entrepreneur from themselves. You know, one of the things I wrote about in my book, The Second Command, is that at times we're the brakes to their gas or or we're the leash to their dragon. When do you kind of step on the brakes? Is it because of budget? Is it bandwidth? Is it just because you've run it through the process? Yeah, it could also be like culture-wise, kind of the space that we're in. It could be something as simple as like, we've had a lot of office turnover and we need to make a decision on a specific employee. 
or we need to make a decision on headcount or we need to add a different person to our team. So I think it through that lens as well as like, okay, wait, like I'm boots on the ground. I'm in here. I'm in the field. I'm talking to the employees. I know how they feel. And right now, this might not be the best decision for Cherry and for our staff. That's interesting. So years ago, I was on the board of a company that's in your home healthcare space. And then I coached them for a year before they really even had their first locations. They had their one corporate location. They've now got hundreds. It's called Nurse Next Door. And one of the things that was very complex about their business, and it sounds like you have the same complexity, so I'm sure the model is very similar, is the I call it the PETA factor, the pain in the ass factor of lots of employees to do the revenue. Like you're a very, very people-centric business. You know, you've almost got one employee per customer in a way, which is like, that's really complicated, right? Now you've got high revenue per customer because it's, you know, large monthly fees and it goes on forever recurring. How do you manage the people side of the business? How do you manage the PETA side of, of people? Yeah, it's really hard. I come from retail and I think that that has helped me because if you think of like retail, it's all frontline employees and large retailers, you could work in an individual big box location. You could have upwards to 400 employees in your space um, daily that you run into. So I think that that has helped me because I'm used to dealing with a large number of employees and I understand the struggles that frontline employees have to where I'm able to connect with them. It also helps kind of how we break apart some of the the things that we deal with on the people side and the office team. So like we have an employee success supervisor that directly deals with the team in the field. Um, so then I'm able to coach through her of some of the things that um, I hear from the team. We also ask for regular feedback. So they have to take surveys um, regularly for us so we can check in and see how they're feeling. We also um, follow the employees, new employees, 30, 60, 90 days. So we do like 30, 60, 90 check-in calls with them just to like get a pulse, see how they're feeling, keep them engaged. And then there's times where we call every single employee if we have a new policy that has rolled out just so they understand, okay, like this is a new policy. This is what we're doing. We're constantly checking in with them and it does take up a lot of our time but it's how we have been able to retain employees and how we've grown to 162 employees. I love this. So one of the things that I think has been really important in the growth of Cheery Home is that you have the real focus and, and almost an obsession around customer engagement and employee happiness, right? So I'm going to balance this question out a little bit. I want to know one thing that you th- that you feel the company or that you are doing really, really well around employee engagement and keeping your employees happy. But then I'd love to know one thing that the company has really screwed up on and messed up on or that you've done wrong around you know, the, the employee side and what did you learn from that? Yeah, I think the one thing that we do really well is what I just touched upon, like the engagement, um, talking to them, talking them through everything. We're very patient with our people. Um, we have a very diverse team of different demographics and different backgrounds. So we know that everyone takes information differently. So we're very patient with the way that we roll things out and how we teach them. I think we do that really well. Um, where we have made mistakes in the past if we is we've hired the wrong people for that employee success manager role. If you don't have a person that is truly servant and people focused in that role, you're going to burn a lot of bridges with employees and you'll lose staff quick. So we did have a, the wrong person in that role. So coming back around, we did have to do a lot of um, repairing of relationships 
and engagement and apologizing. Um, and then we also have had to be like very transparent with them of like, hey, we didn't have the right person in that role, but we have the right person now. And this is what right looks like. What was it about the person that was wrong? What what kind of did you um, find out? And, and then secondly is, do you think the company missed that on hiring when you were hiring or when they were hiring that person originally? Did they miss that and how could they have found that in advance? I think it's a really good debrief for companies to recognize that, you know, we, we were probably excited when we hired the person. What was it that we missed in the process that we found out about later? Yeah, I think not investing because it is a startup company and there is a budget. We hired someone that was fresh into that role and we didn't invest in developing them into that role or prepping them to lead a large team of 160 employees. That is a lot. lot. Um, And that can be very overwhelming. And you have to be people-focused and servant. I think this person was more operational, which was good in a sense, but that doesn't always translate to frontline employees who need like more of an emotional leader and more of an emotional connection, especially with them being in the field. They need to feel connected. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I launched my Invest in Your Leaders course is so many of these managers and leaders are all of a sudden promoted to their ceiling of complexity and they don't have the skills yet. Things like situational leadership and coaching and one-on-one coaching and delegation, like they don't know how to, as you, you put it, servant leadership. What does servant leadership mean to you? Is, is it flipping the org chart upside down where you're there supporting the person, growing their skills, growing their confidence? Can you go into more detail as to what servant leadership means? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. I think a lot of times when people hear servant leadership, they think that it means that, you know, we're letting the employees do whatever they want. And that, that that's not what that means. We're still holding them accountable. We're still asking for what we need, but in turn, we're asking for what they need. And we're there to support them every step of the way. And I think it's also just like we talked about that manager being in the wrong person for that role. We didn't necessarily set them up for success. And servant leadership is setting your team up for success and giving them the tools that they need to be successful. You just said something that I kind of um, jumped on right away mentally, and it was that some people think that servant leadership is letting people do whatever they want to. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's kind of scary. How do you say no to Gen Y and Gen Z? I think we've lost the art of saying no, where we've tried to become so inclusive and care about everybody's feelings. And how do you say no? How do you artfully as a leader say no? One of the things that like grounds me and how I say no is like, I think that generation, like we have, especially with COVID and the pandemic too, like we have been like very like focused on emotions and mental health and how people feel. And that's great, but it doesn't mean that you don't do your job. You still have to do the job. You still have to do what's in the job description. So I say no by reminding them of what the job requires. Like the job requires X. This is what we need. Um, And yes, we create a safe space for you. And yes, you can talk to me about how you're feeling, but it doesn't deviate from what we need you to do for the job. And that's, I, yeah. So I say no without necessarily saying the word no. (laughs) No, it's good though. It's, I mean, it is a bit of an art that we've, I think lost and have to get better at for sure. So you mentioned COVID. Um, One of the things I think that's interesting about your model about Cheery Home is that virtually all of your employees, you know, all of the ones that are dealing with your customers are in the field. They're not coming into your office on a daily basis or probably even weekly or monthly basis, are they? They're they're pretty much always in the field. Yes, they are. 
And, and so how do you build that kind of a company culture where you're working so hard on building this amazing company culture and yet your entire workforce is distributed and work from home? How do you bring the culture to them like that? Yeah, so one of the things that we do is not only do we call them and do check-ins, we also just launched an app where we're able to reward um, employees and give them direct feedback from their clients or something that we noticed that they did where they kind of went above and beyond. We also recognize their birthdays, their work anniversaries on there as well. And it's almost like a social media feed. Like all employees are able to kind of like come on there and say like, happy birthday. Um, So it's like something that keeps us connected and we're able to provide instant recognition. Um, We give out gift cards on that application as well. So they're able to cash those in the points and for like gift cards to places that they'd like to go to. Um, So I really like that. And then we also keep up with like constant email communication with our field employees of like any changes in the office. We're moving office spaces very soon. So that'll be something exciting. We'll do like a mixer for employees. So we try to do um, like small events that are impactful so that it connects them and we're able to kind of all come together. I love that. What's the app called that you're using? It's called Nectar. Nectar. That's really cool. (laughs) So now what about you and your role? I mean, you've been with the company for approximately a year. Where have you struggled in your role? I mean, and I'm asking these questions because I think as leaders, we benefit sometimes from hearing the struggles versus, you know, all the successes. Yeah, I think my biggest struggle has been like, truly coming from a large corporation to a startup company, um, coming from corporate where the CEO is appointed by like a board of directors to where now I'm working with the CEO that is like the founder um, of the company. It's, it's much more personal. And with it being a startup, there's like, there's so many systems that we have to put in place. There's so many policies and procedures that we have to create. I've really struggled with that because I'm used to having that structure and I'm used to having things done for me. And then I think also like I struggled with imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. it is a larger role and there's a lot of weight and I, I do a lot within the company. So I'm like, oh man, like, can I handle all of this? Like, do I have the training? Am I qualified? <laughs> so that's something I've struggled with too. You just really touched on something really beautiful about the imposter syndrome and it's, it is absolutely present in every one of our COO Alliance members and has been for the last six and a half years I cannot think of a single one, and this goes all the way up to like, you know, Randy, who is CEO of a $1.2 billion company, Sunbrella, that's been a member for three years, and he still feels like an imposter. I'm like, dude, you you got 5,000 employees and like millions of square feet. And yeah, but so why do you think we have that imposter syndrome? What is that? Is that what keeps us in check? Is it keep our ego in check? How are you shedding that slowly and realizing that you have the skills? Because you clearly do. I think imposter syndrome is great. I think it does keep our ego in check. I think it makes us aware. It keeps us grounded. But it's not good to stay in that place. It's good to like you you have moments where you kind of come in and out of imposter syndrome. One of the things that I do is like I remind myself of what I have accomplished. And then I have a really good family support system around me. Um, So when I'm feeling like that, I'm able to talk to them and say like, I'm feeling like a little inadequate or intimidated or, you know, like this is really big. And my husband's like, wait, like you've done all of these things. Like you're, you're qualified, you've got it. So sometimes I just need like that extra support and push and a reminder that like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. 
I love that. It's interesting. Like it is the thing that I've noticed about the CO Alliance as well is the first year is all about connections and confidence where everyone does get to meet all the other members and they slowly start to shed that imposter syndrome and then they can kind of settle into their roles. So I'm glad that you're with us on that. Another question I've got, and this is, is related to the going from the big corporate environment to the entrepreneurial environment. What was it that Keenan, the CEO, saw in you that made him feel like you could go from that corporate environment into the entrepreneurial environment? Because it's very different. Yeah, I think when first when I interviewed with Keenan, like two weeks before I interviewed with him, I would wrote down a job that I wanted. Like I just scribbled and I was just kind of, kind of creating my dream job. And then I saw the posting for Cheery and I was like, oh, this is exactly like what I've been looking for. Um, so when I interviewed with him, one of the things that I wanted was I didn't want to work in that corporate environment anymore. I wanted freedom. I wanted to, I've been trying to be like more creative. I've always been very operational, very structured. And so I wanted to kind of tap into like my creative side and bring some ideas to the table and feel like I was heard. I also wanted to see like my impact on a company. And sometimes in larger corporations, you don't always see that. Sometimes you just feel like a number. So I expressed that to him. And then I think also my background, he was looking for someone that could bring like some diversity and inclusion. And I have experience with that. In HR background, I have experience with that. And I think he needed someone that was people focused as well. And I have experience with that. Love that. Okay. So he saw 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 the, the good parts of you and, and saw the, the great fit. You, because you had a vision for what you were looking for, saw that instant fit as well. So then that begs the question about your first 90 days. You, you join the company and there's also 70 or 80 people there that I'm sure a few of them wanted the job that you got. So how did you manage that transition where you get to come in now you got a couple people that are a little pissed that they get to work for you, right? that, that, that they didn't get the job. So how did you manage your way through that one? And then what was your focus around the first 90 days? Can you break that down for us at all? Yeah. So the first 90 days was really about establishing connections and then also being very transparent with this team and proving to them that I was the right person for the job and that I had their back and building that trust and establishing that trust. So the first 90 days, I'm not going to lie, it was rough, um, especially coming from that corporate structure. You know, you have like an onboarding process, training, like a rollout um, and, you know, a strategy to integrate you into the company and the systems. And um, there wasn't that, I, you know, I was thrown in. So I think I created my own systems, my own onboarding, um, which was great. But it allowed me to like connect with the team. I also had a lot of meetings with them. I talked to them. I did one-on-ones and really... Um, I asked them what they needed, and then I acted on that very quickly. So if there was a problem that I could fix that was easy for me to fix, to gain trust with them and to establish that trust, I fixed their problems. What's the biggest PETA factor with all of these employees, and how do you as a company manage around that, manage through that? I think that um, the biggest thing is that they're not adaptable. Just the environment and like the demographic of our employees, like we change so frequently within a startup. There's so many things that we didn't know that we needed that we roll out. And then having to communicate that change to that large group of employees who are in the field, um, that is very hard. And how you communicate because they can interpret an email um, in a different way. So a lot of times you have to like pick up the phone, go to a client's home, um, really do a lot of the work to convey just one message or one change I love within that. the company. 
For you and your growth as a leader, why did you join the CEO Alliance? What was it that you were looking for and what was it that had you, you know, join? Or was it Keenan that said, you're joining? So Keenan presented it to me as an idea because I had been asking him, he was like, what is the one thing that you feel like you're missing coming from the corporate environment? And I was like, really and truly collaboration. Like I had so many peers I could pick up the phone and call um, if I had a question. And I'm also new to like home healthcare as well. So I'm in a completely new industry. It's a startup. And I felt like I didn't have peers to call or anyone to collaborate with. And I felt a little stagnant too, because I felt like my best ideas came from peers and from just talking and balancing ideas off of other people. Um, so it has been really great for me to have a peer group. I love that. We've got an event coming up in about a week's time at, at MIT, and it's a really great opportunity where the members get to kind of come together in person and collaborate and meet as well. So are you going to be at that one, by the way? Yeah, yeah, I will. Good. I didn't know that was a bit of a blind question as well. So that's amazing. I'm glad you're going to be there. It is at, I think it's actually where Keenan and I met at MIT's Endicott house. I think we met there about 10 years ago. Um, so that's great. I'm glad you're going to be at that. It's going to be an amazing event. We've got a huge surprise coming on the Thursday night too, but you'll be there with about 50 plus other COOs. So it's going to be great to connect with everybody. The last kind of question around your growth. So what is it that you're working on today, other than the imposter syndrome and those connections and stuff? What is it, because I know you're very detail-oriented, what are the skills that you're working on to continue to grow as a leader? Because every day this is the biggest company, you know, or not the biggest company you've ever been in, but the company is the biggest that it's ever been, right? The company's continuing to scale. Right. right. I'm really working on, like, organizing, just kind of, like, planning my day a little bit better. And also working on like my own development. So carving out some time in my day for like personal development, whether it's like listening to a podcast or reading some of a book, I feel like sometimes I get so like, because I am detailed, I can get really into a task or really into the details where I don't step back and make time for my own personal development. So um, some of the things I'm working on, I just want to like continue to work on people, people skills, um, organizational leadership and really like carving out ideas and plans um, since I have so many ideas coming at me <laughs> all the time from Keenan. Um, so just how I'm planning that out and delegating that to my team. Awesome. Love that. Now, what about planning your day? You said that that's something you're working on. Do you have a system in place for that currently? And how do you plan out your day? And how do you say no to all the, the major things that you could get sucked into on a day-to-day -day basis as well? Yeah, I've had to really learn to delegate and then also be transparent with my team of like, okay, this is my day. This is what I have. These are my tasks that I'm working on today. I will not take on anything else. Like this is my max. Um, so I've had to be transparent. And I've had to say no. The only thing I'm using right now is my Outlook calendar to plan my day out. That's my biggest thing that we're using. Um, we talked about like some different systems. We have a project management based system as well that we use, but I use that more so for my team. I don't really have anything that I'm using specifically for myself. Does your CEO use the project management system or does he kind of operate in a vacuum around it? He operates around it. So <laughs> we put things into the system and I think he looks at it um, as a way to like keep him in tune with what's going on, but he doesn't use it. It's incredible to me <laughs> how many entrepreneurial CEOs believe in systems for everybody else, not for them. Yeah. <laughs> Just pretty extraordinary. All right, Talisa, I want you to go back to the 22-year-old Talisa and give yourself some advice. What advice do you 
wish you'd known or wish you had when you were just starting out in your career that you know to be true today? I think saying no was was important for me at that age, um, knowing that I could say no and having the confidence to say no. Also, just being kind and easy on myself, just knowing that everything was going to work out. I think I was so worried about who I was going to be and what I was going to accomplish, but just like trusting myself more at that age. All right. I love it. Talisa Young, the operations manager for Cheery Home and CEO Alliance member. Thanks so much for sharing with us today on the Second Command podcast. Looking forward to getting to meet you in person in about 10 days as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.